0: Welcome to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. Beyond the Pulpit is a podcast that shows Andy Thompson in a different light. He talks with different guests every week about how he overcame real life challenges all of us can relate to. If you want to support the Beyond the Pulpit podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com slash podcast for more information.
1: All right, we'd like to welcome you to the first ever inaugural episode of... Beyond the pulpit, you know. Quite honestly, I've been desiring to have some kind of a, a show, uh, some kind of an ex parte show, something that was uh, different than just the pulpit communication. Quite honestly, the older I've gotten, um, the more communicating from the pulpit, as powerful as it is, is a big part of what I do, big part of how I'm known. But um, I don't want to say that I'm at times limited. There are definitely preachers that feel like, or or preachers or communicators from the pulpit, religious leaders that are kind of like talk where the Bible talks and are silent where the Bible is silent. I certainly haven't been that kind of person. I definitely have been someone in my communication that has waded into the gray uh, at the same time. There are times right now when I'm in the pulpit, when I'm on the pulpit and I'm sitting there talking and there's so many thoughts going on in my mind and, uh, and I feel like, ah, uh, I wish I had some kind of a platform to speak beyond the pulpit. And I, and I have. I've done all kinds of different stuff, third degree and, and those kinds of stuff. And, uh, but I'm really excited about this, uh, an opportunity for me to just kind of sh- talk and share and answer questions. I, I've, I've been desiring to have some kind of maybe some kind of call in show, uh, years ago. I used to be on on the on the light every now and then. I was invited to be on there. They had like a relationship Thursday show, and I and I Melissa Wade in the water that's here in the Raleigh Durham area of North Carolina. That some of you may be watching, literally around the world, wherever you may be, um, would have me on there. And people call in and answer ask questions, and I got a chance to answer that. Really was exciting work to do, and uh, we even tried to do something with. The light, we tried to see, ooh, could we get a call-in radio show time with them? They, they believed in their music format, and that's great. I understand that. But, uh, but here we are, and, uh, and so th- this is, this is, this is my, my new show, Beyond the Pulpit. Really excited about it, and, uh, and there are going to be times in which I'm going to be here talking, times when I'm going to be uh, interviewing someone, uh, and mostly, especially times when I'm going to be answering questions and, uh, and talking about something even beyond the pulpit, and uh, it may be apropos to something I talked about on a Sunday, may not. Uh, may be connected, it may not. Um, but that's what I'm determined for this platform to be. I know this past Sunday, even right now, and I'm thinking in my mind and thinking about just what we talked about just this past Sunday, whether you saw the sermon or not, it's, it's fine. But one of the things that I talked about was the challenge of movement, uh, the challenge to move outside of what we normally do, that we are creatures of habit. Uh, that it's, it's an interesting story that, I, that I've that i told a few times in which I, there's this one particular restaurant that I go to quite a bit, Cracker Barrel. And I go to the same one almost all the time. I order almost the same thing all the time. And uh, and most of the time when I get there, I have to go to the bathroom. I go in. <laughs> I go, the men's room is on the right. I go in. I go to the men's room. I go to the bathroom. I was at another Cracker Barrel in another part of the country. It is just... I was somewhere speaking. They said, hey, where do you want to go? I said, is there a Cracker Barrel? They said, yeah. They took me to the Cracker Barrel. And I walked over to the bathroom and just walked right into the door on the right. Just... Which was my reasonable habit, what I normally did. Walk right in to the right, walked in. When I got in, I didn't see any urinals in there. And I just thought, well, maybe I don't maybe they don't have any urinals here in St. Louis. I don't know. And I just went to the bathroom, went into the stall, started to use the restroom, and then I heard someone else come in, and I heard pee that didn't sound like it was coming from a man. It, said, it sounded like rain. <laughs> and I thought, I, I real I looked under the stall and to my surprise, I found that I was in the ladies room. I quickly washed my hands and jumped out as fast as I could. Uh, such, in such a habit of just going into that same right, in that right room that I, I found myself in the ladies room. Uh, I was reading an article that was written by a psychologist that was talking about The fact that almost all human behavior is a mixture of habit and creativity and mostly habit. And one of the most difficult things for us to do is not just to get rid of a bad habit, um, but to start a new habit that will change our lives in a positive way. there's, There's two paths that we have a tendency to take. It's just like me with hunting right now, you know, I'm, I'm getting prepared for hunting and i am got some new land that I've found out that I've inherited from my great grandfather. And I'm going up there trying to cut some trails. And then, right now, the, the trails that I've been following are deer trails. Uh, and, and so there's there's kind of the the random trail of creativity. When I've followed deer trails in the past, the challenge of deer trails is sometimes they end in weird places. There's a difference between a created path and then the path that is almost random. In a sense, that's our lives. There are habits that were installed by us, by the people that raised us, by who taught us how to be, and they just made us who we are. Hopefully, you got into the habit of brushing your teeth. Hopefully, you got into the habit of eating some vegetables. Hopefully, you got into the habit of getting some good sleep. Hopefully, you got into that. If some of those earlier habits were established in you, and I, you know, I know that there's so many changes in our world, in our time, in our society. Um, I grew up in a world in which your mama made you eat vegetables. She didn't care what you liked. Because they were trying to establish some habits in you and some consistency in you that were positive. I'm sure inevitably you picked up some bad habits along the way. We all have. And the ultimate challenge is to try not just to stop your bad habits, but can you instill and can you create some new habits and some new patterns of behavior that will lead you to life rather than just lead you to death. And uh, it can be a real challenge for all of us. It's just, it's not easy for us to say, okay, well, this is the way my life is going, and I wanna change that. Most of us wanna change our lives. Most of us wanna do something that's really positive. Most of us are sick of of where we are. It's absolutely possible to be sick and tired of where you are. Uh, And if you're gonna really see change that lasts, that is sustainable, then that change is gonna come from you creating a new habit for you actually instilling a behavior in your life that you maintain for a month. And 30 days is a long time when you're trying to change your habit, when you're trying to get rid of a habit and not just lose a bad habit, but pick up a new one, that 30 day period of time can be tough. And, uh, and it's just something interesting about human behavior that we can find ourselves falling into patterns of behavior that are very destructive. Uh, And I think that that, that's ultimately the the real challenge of life. We can all talk about haters and talk about people that don't like us or talk about people that don't think like us or talk about people that don't agree with us. But I've found in my 50-plus years on this planet that probably the greatest enemy to myself and the end of the day has been me. Even if there were people that were enemies, or 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 ways I was done wrong by parents or whatever it was, uh, a part of what it did is it it's almost like that, like winding up that bunny that walks on its own, or winding up that car that rides on its own. It's like it it wound me up in a pattern of behavior that (laughs) that I now self perpetuate. I was talking about traits, I think, yesterday, and the thing about traits, it's not just that we look like our parents, but it's also that we pick up their behavior. It's not just that you got hips because you got them hips from your mama. You didn't just get your hips from your mama. You got your eating behavior from your mama. You got your... Patterns of behavior from your father. It's not just that you can get a, a curse on you, generational curses. Christians talk about that a lot. I, it's not just that. It's that it's it's the trait, it's the pattern, and breaking those patterns is hard. Um, and we can find ourselves falling into those patterns. I don't know if you ever been in that kind of a cycle where you are just kind of seem to be going. Around and round and round. It's like all around the world. It's the same song. It's just the same old song. Somehow you find yourself singing just the same old song. And you're doing just the same old things. And how can we break those patterns? How can we find ourselves going in a new direction? Uh, is a real challenge for us. Uh, and it's the thing that's on my mind. I talked about it some yesterday. Um, and really talked about the fact that it can be difficult. And I'm talking about it tonight. Um, but how hard it can be to create a pattern of success and a behavior that is successful—that that, that could be challenging. I was having a conversation earlier today with uh, a, a young woman that's kind of like a goddaughter type person, and she's she's really done some exciting things lately. You know, she had a she had a good job, but then she started her own company, her own store, and things are really going well. Um, for her, but she, she still has this fear of the fact that she's out of the boat and walking on the water. And it's, it's incredible how we can become so familiar with the safety of the boat, even if we broke on the boat, even if we barely make it in on the boat, the, 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 the courage to try something new can be really, really difficult. And even after we're doing it, she asked me today, how can I change this feeling that I have around the fact that I'm out here and, I, and I'm doing all of these new things, how can I change the f- way I feel about it? My response to her was, well, my hope is that the fact that you're winning, the fact that you've experienced some success should help you to feel good about the the risk you took. And she said, yeah, that's, that's true, but still a lifetime in the boat can create a sense of comfort in the boat and you can find yourself walking on the water always looking back at the boat. And I think it's a challenging thing. I think it's a challenging thing for our world. I think it's a challenging thing for our culture. I think it's a challenging thing for Americans, for Africans, for Australians, for Indians, for anyone, no matter who you are, a part of something that humans share in common is that we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of behavior. We hang out with the same people. We eat a lot of the same foods. We go a lot of the same places. We we get into our modes and it can be hard for us to break out. We just get comfortable and we relax and we like what we're familiar with and to try something new can be very unsettling and to dare you to have courage and to dare you to believe more and to dare you to get outside of your comfort zone. It takes real power. And I think that it's, it's something that we have to continue to aspire to be and to be prepared to go through the process. And I think the process is a part of it. And I'm I'm trusting that most of you are in a process. I'm trusting that these conversations, this beyond the pulpits kind of conversations that we have can help you to go beyond uh, where you are right now through a process that may be difficult, through a process that may be challenging. Um, but understanding that there is there's a point to that process, Um And instead of just kind of finding ourselves involved in pointless behavior for us to say, okay, well, there's a point to this process. Let me go through the process. I think we avoid the process because it's painful, but there's a real point to the process. I also think we avoid the process because we are bombarded with images and stories of quick instant success. Uh, Even if we go to a movie, I remember when I was younger, you know, and I, and I, I liked the Rocky movies. Sylvester Stallone, you know, and it was always amazing how, you know, there's always drama, there's always difficulty, there's always stuff going on in Rocky's life that's keeping him from being prepared for the fight that lies ahead. And then at some point, a switch is flipped. And he just decides, that's it. I'm getting in shape. (laughs) If you've ever seen any of those movies or any movie like that, what happens next is what they what they call a montage. And a montage is where three to four months of work are encapsulated in about three minutes. <laughs> the reason why they do that is because a movie about the process of somebody getting in shape, the day-to-day grueling thing, if they spent 30 minutes on that, 40 minutes on that, you'd be bored. You're not interested in that. We wanna gloss over the hard work, because we love instant, quick fame and wealth and riches. It's just what we dig. It's how we are. We get really excited when somebody wins the lottery, but winning the lottery is luck. (laughs) And all of a sudden you find yourself with Oprah's wallet without any of her connections. And there's something about going through that process to go through that process. You got to get out of the lane that you're in right now. You got to get outside of your comfort zone and you got to be willing to move and go in a different direction, go to a place where you haven't lived, go in in a, in a, in a way that you haven't date someone totally different than who you've normally dated Uh, go to places that you don't normally go to, try something totally different than you normally try. Um, And it's quite fascinating to me how many of us are interested in success and interested in wealth and interested in life and interested in better and are reluctant to change our current patterns. Uh, And if there's anything I can challenge everybody to do today is, hey, as best you can, have the courage to do something new. Uh, and to try something different and to believe that better can happen if you simply have the courage All right, you ready for some questions? I'd love to have some questions. Let's jump right into it. It's what 7:20, so I've been talking for about 20 minutes. So I'd love to answer some questions. Let's go. This is why we're here.
0: All right, I'm going to start off with a philosophical one. Okay. Where do our souls go when we die?
1: I think this is an excellent question. I mean, I think that the, the, I, and I think the, the beginning of the answer is that we can very often be a little confused about terms. And most of the time when we're talking about our soul, we're really thinking about our spirit. Uh, although the, there are three parts of you, you, you are a spirit. That's the real you, you have a soul and you live in this body. And the Bible talks about the fact that the dividing of soul and spirit joint marrow um, is is one of the hardest things. It's one of the things that the word does is that it it judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. So you can think of your soul as like the emotional thinking part of you and the spirit is the real you. And very often there's a war that's going on between your spirit, which is the real you, Your flesh, which is just your great big desire, and then your soul, which is your emotional part of you, the thinking part of you, is in the middle, kind of in a tug of war. And your flesh is easy because your flesh just wants what it wants. It wants to eat, it wants to drink, it wants to have sex, it wants to party, it wants to have a good time, it wants to do everything that's easy. I got up this morning thinking, ooh, I'm going to work out. I did not work out. And then I just said, well, I was yesterday was a long day and I was tired and I I didn't work out. And so my, my flesh was like, hey, let's relax. My, the real me was like, no, 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 you're not going to be happy if you don't get some exercise in what's in the middle. It's my thoughts and my emotions in that tug of war. My flesh won today. And I, I just chilled out and watched some law and order and, and didn't actually exercise today. And so there's that war. Um, so the spirit you, which is the real you, that's the, that's the part of you that survives your death and goes on to your reward. And, uh, and once you die, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment so that when you die, your spirit leaves your body. I've read stories, heard testimonies of people who have left their body. They could see themselves separated they're floating above it and they go up and they, and they now are in this in-between place. And end up finding themselves back in their body. I've heard stories. And a lot of the stories they do, they agree with each other. They relate with each other. That when you die, you go to stand before the judgment seat or the judgment machine of Christ. Or that you now find yourself in a a judgment space in which you're being judged. Um, And... I don't even want to say judged in a a real negative way, just weighed and getting an opportunity to take a look at your life and and to do some examination and to figure out, okay what's next for you? Um, Since I'm talking beyond the pulpit, I I, quite honestly, I think what's next is isn't uh, it's not that I don't believe in heaven because I do But I believe in it being more than just streets of gold or worshiping God all day or just doing nothing. I feel like we're creatures of purpose. Uh, I feel like we're driven by purpose. I think the real you is driven by purpose. The real me is driven by purpose. And I don't know if I'll ever be satisfied with an eternity of vacation. I don't think that's the point of it. I think the point of this life is that there are things to be learned and lessons to be learned and and strengths to gain and and powers and 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 missions to be accomplished to prepare you for whatever mission is next. I don't think that after this 80 years or 90 years on this planet you deserve an eternity of happiness and laughter. I, I believe that there's there is a joy that comes with accomplishing and hearing well done, and you accomplished. I think eternity is that the spirit you, the real you, never dies, and that you go on from here to another assignment, to another mission. Um, that's really what I believe, uh, and I think that heaven is just so wonderful to explain that it's just it's it's uh it's described in wonderful ways, but I don't, I don't think there'll be an actual street made of gold. I just, I think that it's heaven. I think that it's no more pain. I think it's no more suffering. I think you're reunited with loved ones. Um, and I think that you are now outside of time and you're moving on to another, uh, mission. That's what I believe. And, um, and so that's what I think. It's what happens when you die. And, um, so all right
0: cool. All right next one we got is uh, has social media ruined dating?
1: I don't want to say that social media is ruined dating. I don't know if social I don't know what's fair to lay it at the feet of social media. Quite honestly, I, so, I think social media can also make it easier to meet someone um, I think if you're a woman and you're single, I don't think it's smart for your Instagram to be private. Now, I'm sure there's somebody that could tell me, oh, well, people make it private because of blah, 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 but I don't think that's smart. I think that Instagram is a really easy way for someone to see you and meet you and get an understanding about you. Get a chance to see. I think your Instagram should be clear. If you're single, I should be able to know. If you're married, I should be able to know. Um, I I think social media can make it easier. I know when I was younger, you know, you just had to roll on somebody cold. You had to walk up to somebody without really knowing who they were. You had to have some game back in the day. And Roxanne, Roxanne, I want to be your man. And you had to have something to say. one enough just to look good. You had to spit some game. And although I, I think there still is something to be said for that, but it, it's at this point now, it's possible to text someone in their DM and to not necessarily have to deal with the facial rejection that you had to back in the day, you roll on a girl, she can look at you like, please. Whereas now you, you may find somebody on Facebook or find somebody on, on Instagram, be able to send them a message. And then, if you're if you're gonna be rejected, then you don't necessarily have to deal with that rejection in such a negative way. Um, in the same way, I feel like women can show interest, and I know that there's ways in which this can be used in a negative way, but I think women can show interest um, through social media without necessarily having to come off overly aggressive, or overly easy or loose. Um, and a guy can know hey wow you know that there there's there's somebody that's actually interested in me i think one of the things so interesting about the world that we live in is that there's a total reevaluation of of sexual behavior and expectations for the sexes so as we've continued to reevaluate what women's role is in society, especially on, in a vein for, for seeking equality, it's also kind of caused us to reevaluate what a man's role is. When women say anything you could do, I can do better. Or that women, when women are determined to say, I can do anything a man could do. A part of what happens is that now there's almost an expectation for men to be able to do everything that women can do. And quite honestly, there is a bunch of things that women can do that men can't do. But I also think that it it pulls men from a more masculine place. So there's there's a masculinization of women and there's a feminization of men. And so I think the boldness to walk up cold to somebody that you don't know, to walk up to a woman that you don't know, and who you find attractive and say, hey, how you doing, my name is John, and I think you bad. You know, I, I think you're, you're so fine. You make me wanna say my ABCs. A, you're awesome. B, you're beautiful. C, you're confident. And, you know, we'll leave out the D. But that, I, that I'm trying to say, hey, I'm trying to holler at you. For a guy to be that confident I don't know if he can be overly feminized. We want that guy to be so confident that he can walk up on you cold. We want him to be able to whoop somebody's behind. We want him to be strong and powerful and nurse babies in a baby bjorn with a bottle attached to it. It's asking a lot. Um, And so, I know I'm all over the place, but has social media ruined dating? I don't think so. I think if you were easy before, you easy app. Can social media make it easier for somebody to hit it? Sure. But at the end of the day, if somebody could hit it, then they could have hit it. I, you could be like, oh yeah, hinge and 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 Tinder. Well, all that happened is it just made you easily, more easily to be hit. But if you if you could be hit, you could be hit. So has it ruined dating? I don't think so. Um, I know quite a few people that have met and got married as a result of social media. My brother Phil and his wife are very happily married. They met through social media. Um, and so I don't think it ruins dating. I think the thing that's ruining dating is the total lack of intimacy in our culture. That intimacy is under attack. When we make sex completely, totally recreational, we start to fight against real intimacy. And without real intimacy, dating kind of starts to not have a point. When dating is just about pleasure, that's a real challenge for dating. But if we can ever get back to the idea That dating is about trying to see, can I have real intimacy with this person? Not just sexual intimacy, although sexual intimacy is important, but real intimacy is under attack. Not only is it under attack as a result of our our sexual attitudes, but this makes it under attack. We just want to share everything with everybody in the whole wide world. We want to use Instagram to call everybody family. And what's, what's happening is we're losing sight of what it means to really be private and really be intimate, and only one person know your story. And I think that is a danger to dating even more than something like social media. I need to time myself with these answers, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, I'm just—it's Monday night, so oh, you're you know, I'm—I'm be bopping and talking.
0: Okay, somebody asked, and I think this is interesting. Uh, they said, how's Victory Park coming? And then they said, also, is it logistically possible for you to have a service in Atlanta as you did in Charlotte recently. We talk about W.O.C.C. all the time.
1: You know, Victory Park is coming along well. We had a conversation with the construction guys today. It's the company's called Choate. Um, I know there was a phone call. We, we're We're making big changes. I think a big part of the challenge for us right now. It's not that we don't we have the land, we have we have the location, we know what we want, we have our vision, it's very clear. But COVID is really messing with, you know, the prices of materials. And so that's a part of the challenge. And then every other day the price of glass changes, or the the price of steel goes up, or the price of concrete goes up. And so um we are making adaptations based on how much we're willing to spend. We're trying to build something that not only will be a a final resting place for, I don't want to say final resting place sounds horrible, but a home, a final home for world overcomers, our church, but also something that is self-sustaining and something that, uh, that pays for itself outside of just people giving to the church. Um, and so I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be great. And, uh, and we're well on our way and getting closer and closer to finalizing our details and finalizing our pricing and closing on our loan and, and breaking ground is coming along. Would we ever do something in Atlanta? I think the reason why we did the away game thing was because I think we are determined to fully embrace the idea that uh, that the church has changed and it's different. And most people are watching us online. And, um, most people are watching us through YouTube. This is, I'm on YouTube today. Uh, you all know that cause you're watching me and whether you're watching it live or whether you're watching this afterwards, cause you heard about it or you, you saw the, the link or whatever. Um, and, and so the greater majority of our people, I mean, even right now, I mean, even today, you know, Morgan in even in the meeting that we had, I mean, I don't want to make changes again, but, You know, I I think one of the main reasons why we're even talking about building our building to seat 1700 or 1800 is because we want it to be a viable uh, option for rentals against a place like Deepak or someplace like that. I don't even know if it's because we will need 1800 seats in the future. I think that the the future of the church, it really is looking like online and, and the streaming is it really is is church. And so, um, yeah, I'd love to come to Atlanta. And, you know, stay tuned. We'll let you know. If we're doing W-O-C-C-A-T-L, we will let you know. if We're going to do an away game there. And uh, we've talked about doing it in Philly. We've talked about doing it in Atlanta. We've talked about doing it in Tennessee. We've talked about doing it in New York. We've talked about doing it everywhere. And uh, so, sure. All
0: right. So, let's see. Can you talk about calling, gift, and purpose, uh, specifically for a person in their 20s trying to figure it out?
1: I mean, I think that, you know, when we talk about calling, you know, the idea of a calling, uh, it's, it's very spiritual talk. I think what's much more viable to have a conversation about, especially in your twenties is not just necessarily what's your calling, but what you're gifting. Um, cause I think it's, it's important to find what you're gifted in. Part of the challenge of school is that it just makes us learn a certain amount of stuff. It's very broad. Um, and it, we can find ourselves having to do stuff that we're not interested in and especially things that we're not gifted in. Um, unfortunately, even today's education, it was almost crafted more to just make us factory workers, and not necessarily to help us to find our passion, or to find an area in which we're gifted in. Um, I think once you graduate from high school, it's important to have a sit-down conversation with yourself for real, and find out what your gift is, where your gifts lie. This is all another part of the challenge of to break down a family and the lack of fatherhood, and just the lack of kind of family continuity. Because in a sense, if you're a man, chances are you were doing whatever your father did. Uh, and if you're a woman, you were doing whatever your mother did, which was being a mother and having more children. Um, and so there certainly is benefits to equality and benefits to you know the world changing and for people being able to go into different avenues totally separate from what their parents did. That's a positive. There's a ditch on either side of the road. The negative of it is that people can be lost, totally separated from any real meaning or any real purpose out here trying to find themselves a part of the power of, well, my dad's a dentist, so maybe I'm going to be a dentist. Or my father's an electrician, so maybe I'm going to be an electrician. Or my father owns a shoe store, so I hey I may work in the shoe store and inevitably inherit the shoe store. It's hard to inherit something that you haven't worked in. So that brought a certain amount of clarity to people. Um, whereas when we take that completely off the table now, folks are picking stuff out the air. They see something on social media or they just they say something they want to be. They don't even really know what all it entails to be a nurse. You can't be a nurse if you don't like blood. You can't be a nurse if you don't like pee. You can't be a nurse if, you, if you're if you squeamish. You can't be a lawyer if you don't like to read. I wanna be a lawyer. You better like books. So I think that finding what your gifts are, finding where you're gifted, um, that could be a real challenge. And it's something that people need to spend some time doing, having different experiences um, and figuring out what your gift is. And even that doesn't necessarily mean, I would hope that your gifting would lead to a career that can provide for you. But it's also absolutely possible for you to be gifted in an area And maybe even called in an area and it not pay. Um, And I think that's the other thing that's very interesting about the world that we live in. That our world and our education system promises kind of a a work-based survival system. And we have to realize that really that's not the path to wealth or security. People who worked for a living in something specific, um, someone like that wasn't necessarily somebody that had money. Um, So to understand that it's absolutely possible for you to play the guitar and sing and love that and write music, but it may not necessarily be what provides for you. And I think one of the things that's really cool and interesting about the world that we live in is there's all kinds of ways for you to make money um, and there are all kinds of ways for you to be provided for. Um, and for for all of us to have a very broad-based perspective about wealth from real estate to investments to things you can do on the internet, um, things that you can do. There are folks who go to school and end up getting into a, a an arena in which they're making money that I don't even know. I don't know if that's their calling. I don't know if that's their gifting, but they're making money in that. And then the making money in that allows them to have the possibility to do something that they're gifted to do or that they enjoy. Um, something that actually brings pleasure in their life. Um, uh, so I think you've got a. I don't know if I answered the question. I think for you to really know what your gifting is, you need to ask yourself what you like to do. You need to ask yourself if you're good at it, <laughs> um, because because your your it's how proficient you are in it will give you a glimpse into whether or not it's something that really can pay for you. And whether or not there is provision that goes along with it, if all of a sudden you find money's coming as a result of it, then you could say, wow, this is really my calling or really my career because money's coming. But you may find out that money's not coming, even though you love to do it. And so you may need to find another way to provide for yourself while still having this thing that you enjoy doing. And there are people that paint and may not make money painting, but it's something that they love to do. Um challenging question.
0: Uh good question here. Uh for you, uh, what is beyond the pulpit for you? What comes after uh your finished preaching?
1: I mean, when I'm done pr- preaching, I n- I don't know if if we mean when I'm done preaching forever, I don't know if I'll ever be done preaching. I'll, I probably will be pr- at least preaching Till I, till I die, till my brain don't work well enough. And I, from the kind of, from the people I come from, the body falls apart before our brains do. So my brain will probably be working right up till I'm about to lay down to rest in the coffin. Um, I know that after a Sunday or a Wednesday, or, you know, I have to speak somewhere Friday, I have to speak in this large church in, uh, in Long Island, New York this weekend on a Friday night. Immediately following the communication, I, the 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 sermon itself. There's there's a couple of things that take place. Number one, there are things that I that I in myself I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Um, you know, it's, I, when I was a kid, there was a show that used to come on called The Incredible Hulk. You know, David Banner, and um, you know he turned into the Hulk, and you know something would make him mad, he turned into the Hulk. And he would rage and, and stuff would get broke down and people would get killed. And then he would come back to himself and he'd be in like these tattered clothes. And he'd have to find another outfit to put on in a backpack. And as he walked out of town, you know, they, they played this song. <laughs> so it's like sometimes that's how I feel when I'm sometimes when I'm in the pulpit, it's, it's like the Hulk comes out and I'm ranting, I'm raging, and I'm under the anointing or under the passion I have about a point. And I may even tell a story or say something. And then when I come down, I'm wondering, are buildings still up? And I'm hoping I didn't hurt anyone's feelings to a certain extent. Um, And I'm kind of like, I can't believe I said that. And then, you know, sometimes I have people around me that are like, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> sometimes I have people around me that are like, oh, it's fine. It's not a big deal. It's it's you. Um, but then uh, lately, probably within the last four or five years, there have been things that I've standing in the pulpit in the moment it came to my mind. I I understand I'm there ultimately to communicate the gospel in that platform. I'm here to exegete the passage of scripture to say, this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus said. This is what Paul said. As I, as I got older and become, became more experienced and became more successful. Thank God for how he's used me. Um, I started saying things a bit more. My opinion became more valid. I started preaching when I was 15. So when I was 15, 16, nobody cared what I thought. It was, what does the Bible say? When I went to school, seminary, and taught how to be a communicator, it was, well, what did did Jesus say? What did Paul say? What does the Bible say? What does Isaiah say? And you're showing your ability to have revelation on the passage, but really that you know the passage well, and you understand the period, you understand what it meant then, and you're trying to make it apply today. As you get older and more experienced, you then can Venture out like the Apostle Paul and say, Well, can I I mean maybe the Spirit isn't saying this, but I'm saying this. And don't I too, do I not too have the Spirit of God? Um But still at this point there are times when I'm saying, Gosh, this is what I really would say. Um wish I could have said that, but I, I feel like it's almost beyond the pulpit or outside of the scope of what I'm expected to communicate in that moment. And a part of what I'm hoping will come from this platform is that I'll I'll be able to answer questions beyond just what the pulpit questions are. I don't mind answering spiritual questions. That's fine. Um, And I know inevitably I'll get relationship questions, and that's fine, because I think that that's beyond the pulpit. Um, But my hope is ultimately be able to, as an older man... Um, And not that I'm old, but just older, not as young as I once was, um, that I'll be able to actually use the wisdom that I've been given, not just through the scriptures, but just in life and um, having all these children and and my teenagers and everybodys they're all grown up now. And to be able to to advise, um, I think that one of the biggest things that's missing is fathers and for people to be able to get the male perspective, um, in a way that still has hope. Um, and that's a part of my desire for, uh, a platform like this.
0: All right. Uh, next question. Can cheating ever be justified? Can it be forgiven?
1: Um, I don't think there's any question that it can be forgiven because it's forgiven all the time. Um, uh, there's, There's definitely infidelity that happens and people definitely can be determined to put that behind them and to move forward with their relationship. People can decide that. It is for better or for worse. People can decide that that they have reasons to still stay together. They believe that there's hope for the future. They have an understanding of why they're together. There's children involved. There's money involved. There's property involved. Um, I think when when, when we really start to talk about relationships, um, especially sexual norms, We have to realize that this is an extremely cultural and generationally specific perspective. And what I mean by that is right now we're living in the 21st century and we are living in a time in which there is expectations of people's sexual behavior that have not always been the norm in human existence. And so... Talking about something like infidelity in the 21st century is very different than talking about it in the 18th century, very different than talking about it in the 12th century, very different talking about it in the 5th century. Um, And that's A.D., let alone B.C. Um, It's very different talking about it in a culture in which there's polygamy very different in a culture in which there is, an, is an, a different expectation for the outcome of, of relationships. And so um, asking, is it justified? That's a very narrow American question that is extremely, it's, it's a sign that Americans have a tendency to only think about their cultural perspective of societal norms. But I'm just avoiding the question. <laughs> Can it be justified? Let's say this. I I've said this about men. I, I suppose it could be said about women as well. Um, you know, I'm in my office. I've got you know these deer heads on the wall. You know, there's farmers and there's hunters, and they both use corn. They both use land. They use them for different things. Um, when you're a farmer, you use your corn. You're sowing, you're reaping as a guy. And I suppose we can apply it to women as well, because women are being unfaithful today, too. It's like you you get a man, you get a woman, you're you're giving it your all. You're sowing your best. You're you. You can be faithful. You can be consistent. You can be determined to care and pour everything you have. Try to protect this land. Try to try to give into this land and you and you're sowing into it your consistency, your love, your joy, your peace. You're giving it your all in the hopes that you will reap from it. And if you are reaping from it and you are satisfied by it, then 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 unless there's something wrong with you. But if and I don't and I I hesitate to say wrong, but if you're reaping from it then it can be a blessing. But you can find yourself hungry. And there are definitely men that are finding themselves hungry on the farm that is their marriage. And there are definitely women that find themselves hungry on the farm that is their marriage. Hungry for sex, hungry for emotional validation, hungry for time out, hungry for words, hungry for connection, hungry for true intimacy. It's absolutely possible for someone to find that their marriage is lacking in some of those things and it can turn them into a hunter (laughs) in which they are now hunting. They are now supplementing their diet (laughs) with deer (laughs) and they're, they're out hunting. Uh, it's, it's absolutely possible to just straight be a hunter. You're not interested in anything long-term. You're not interested in anything solid. You're not interested in anything consistent. It's just trophies on your wall. And there are definitely men who have been that way. Definitely women who have been the victim of that kind of thought or behavior. Um, I don't know if I can say there are men who can be victims of that behavior, although I do think there are women that are more in love with the idea of marriage and more in love with the idea of a guy and more in love with what marriage will do for them. than they are with the guy himself. Sometimes when I'm talking to young women, I'm asking them what they're looking for in a husband. When they finish talking, I'm like, Oh, you want a wife. Um, and, and that they're really just talking about themselves and everything a guy will do for them because they love them they do necessarily love that dude. That's why they'll, they'll marry a guy who's a McDonald's manager, but then as soon as they're married to him, they're trying to get him to start his own burger shop. When, when you met him, he was a truck driver, but you want him to be more, it's not just that you have an interest in helping him be better, but because you're chasing a dream and chasing an idea, and you're more in love with that idea than you are with that dude. And I think guys have to be careful, Not to end, gentlemen, you have to be careful not to end up in a relationship with a woman who's more interested in stuff and how it looks than she is in you. And women, of course, have to be careful that they don't end up in a relationship with a dude who's just about himself and more interested in sex and more interested in just what you do for him than he is interested in you. Um, But it is possible for a, a guy to just be a hunter. And it's it is possible, I suppose, for women to become just hunters. And it's hard, almost hard for me to say that because, just by the way, I was raised. It's almost in my belief, and it's to, in my. It's almost in the nature of a woman to to ultimately want to be a nurturer and and want something that's real and long lasting. But I'm am sure, as the world continues to change and as the pressure on women to be more like men continues to grow, sure. Um. So is it justified? I mean, I think it's definitely possible um, for someone to be in a in a consistent relationship, be in a monogamous relationship, be in something in which they're serious about and as a result of the lack that is in their life, um, they may look outside of their marital relationship to try to find something outside of it. And I think that there is always a price to pay for that. Um, But there are people who decide that divorce, the price for divorce is too high. It's just an interesting, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting moment. You know, here I'm in my 50s, you know, my parents are still alive. They're in their 70s. You know, in their generation, divorce was much more frowned upon than it is today. Um, But I when I think about a lot of my, my parents' friends and their marriages, I don't know if I would say their marriages were good. I think that they 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 were married, and there was a, a pressure for them to stay married. Especially within the Christian world, we, you know, people is even expect me. You know, it's why I'm talking about this beyond the pulpit. I don't know if I've ever really talked about this on the pulpit. I'm talking about this beyond the pulpit. Um, Because people expect the clergy and Christian leadership and pastors to use biblical fear to force people to stay with people. Um, And I understand that. But I think the real question is, is your husband with you because he wants to be with you or is he with you because he's scared to go to hell? (laughs) Is he with you because he wants to be with you, or is he with you because he's scared to leave you? Because he's scared what you'll do to him or what you'll say about him. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Is your wife with you because she really wants to be with you, or is she with you because you make money? Someone was telling me that there was a, there's a very prominent pastor. If I said his name, we'd all know him. And a couple of weeks ago, he was preaching in his sermon on a service on a Sunday morning. And he actually did like an altar call for women who are with men. And the only reason why they're with them is because the guys have money and nice cars. But they don't really like the guys. They don't feel valued by the guys. They don't feel appreciated or they don't really... And women came to the altar. I mean, he was basically like, even if he's here with you right now, come on down. Let's pray for you. And there were women that actually got up in church and went down to the altar to be delivered from being in a relationship with a dude that they don't really want to be in. And I thought to myself, wow, you could never do that altar call for men. Gentlemen, we can never, you could never, do. I mean, oh, it's easy to do it for women to say, oh, women, come on down here. If you're with a dude you don't want to be with, because there's there's a double standard. The expectations of men, it's like, well, tough it out, dude. She's with you. She don't want to be with you. But if somebody stood up in the pulpit and did an altar call for every man who's in a marriage because he has to be, first of all, I would hope that it wouldn't be 75 it might <laughs> let's not get rude about it but I, I, I'm just saying that <laughs> first of all are dudes even in church at all gentlemen are you even there but um, we have some big conversations to have about marriage and relationships and the, the, the definition of it um, and so That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I have more to say, but.
0: All right, so uh, we'll switch it up a little. I know seven is your favorite number. Can you give us some simple steps to own land, real estate, creating that general, uh, that generational wealth, and why Black folks don't have insurance? We're not gonna live forever. I feel like that was like a 17-part question. <sighs>
1: Okay, well, seven is God's number of perfection. It's not necessarily my favorite number. I mean, I, seven is God's number of perfection, so I give a lot of sevens because it's God's number of perfection. Um, if you expect me to come up with seven things you need to do off the cuff, I mean, maybe. I mean, it's Monday night. You know, we decided to do this thing on Monday night because, you know, I'm I'm just more raw on Mondays, and, you know, my producers want this to be a raw show show And so, you know, we're doing it on Mondays with my my eyes itchy and grainy. But I can give you seven things, I think. I mean, I think number one, you have to realize that property is an extremely valuable thing to have and own. I was reading an article the other day about something called a HELOC, which is a home equity line of credit. There's so many people that don't understand that. If you are renting a space right now, you have no opportunity to get a HELOC. So there's something to be said about home ownership. The way that the tax system is set up, the way that the governmental system is set up, it is set up for you to be a business owner, have your own LLC, your own LLC and it is set up for there to be tax adv- advantages for you to own your own home and own your own property. So I think that one of the most important things for you to do is to have property ownership as a goal. Especially if you're a man. Especially if you're a man. Gentlemen, one of the things that ought to be serious about you. One of the whole reasons for a last name was for titles for your land. So one of the reasons for children is who am I passing this stuff on to? And so for property to be a goal, I think that when you're a man and you own property, you have a different feeling about yourself. Most of the guys that I hear complaining about divorce, very rarely do I hear a guy complain about divorce as a result of a loss of a woman. Gentlemen, most most men who are divorced aren't complaining about the woman leaving them. That's a small part. The greater percentage of them are bemoaning the loss of property. But that might be something that you may be able to avoid if you were to gain property before you got a woman. So if property became a serious goal for you as a person, number one, the beginning of it is to be serious about it. And to prioritize it above all else. Get yourself a hooptie and drive a hooptie until you own some property. Until you own a home. You don't... <laughs> I don't know if I'd wear Yeezys if I don't own a home. I don't know if I'd be wearing all these fancy Jordans if I didn't own a home. I don't know if I'd be rocking a brand new car if I didn't own a home. I'd be figuring out a way to prioritize. I'm not saying Yeezys are bad. I'm not saying Jordans are bad. I'm not saying having a nice watch is not. I'm not saying any of that stuff. Nice car, it's all wonderful. But I just put property first. I want to get the most property that I could for the least amount of money. I wouldn't be overly picky about it, especially if I was a guy and I was by myself, gentlemen. If you're a single dude, you can live almost anywhere in the hood, in a rough part of town, in a rough neighborhood, in a black part of the, it. Doesn't If you're a single man and you're a guy, then you can own property just about anywhere and get in there, fix it up, build it up, flip it. Use your ability and your financial ability to to get a loan for where you live to turn into the development of wealth. If you just simply bought a home, lived in it for two years, fixed it up, gained some and flipped it, used your ability to get a mortgage to then move into another home for two years, stay in it for two years to avoid capital gains and then sold it and did that in a 10 year period, if you were smart, you could really, you could make some money. And you could end up, if you started at 21, you could at 31, wake up with a couple hundred thousand dollars in in, in, in equity and in money, just as a result of you using your ability to, to purchase a home. There are first time home buying programs. There are first-time home-buying programs in which you can buy homes with no money down. I I bought my first house when I was 26 years old through a program called UNAC, NACA, in which I bought my house for no money down. My best friend Chris Hill came and said, oh, guess what? There's a program where you can buy a house for no money down. I had to go through classes. I had to write letters to get my credit together. And me and Chris Hill, we both bought houses. He bought a house. I bought a house when we were 26 years old, no money down, going through the process, fighting and, and, and getting in that house. We were 26 when we when we when we bought those houses. Now, we were actually we had ministry calls on our lives. And so we ended up because I, I had a plan to take that house. and And that house right now that I bought, I bought that house for one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars. That house is worth one point five million dollars right now in the city of Boston. That's just how crazy the real estate market went in Boston. And I ended up selling that house. I made some money on it. Um, and uh, because of the ministry, because of the call, and I took the profit I made and I put it into World Overcomers. But saying all that to say that real estate and land, I, I would never sell land. If I owned land, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd only sell it if I was going to be able to retire, if I was going to be able to put a couple million into my retirement. I wouldn't, I listen, I, I'd shoot videos of my feet before I, before I, before I sold my land. Gentlemen, there's nothing like having property. I've been reading quite a few articles on just The the challenge of relationships, particularly with African-Americans and African-American women being more educated than men. And I don't think it's just that. I don't think it's just hypergamy. Of course, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about hypergamy and the fact that men date across and down, women date across and up. And, And it's it's I don't think it's just that women. Don't like blue collar worker dudes or, or guys that are less educated them just because they're less educated. I think it's because sometimes we can be intimidated by a woman that's more educated, but it's absolutely possible to be less educated and make more money than an educated person. And dude, you might feel a whole lot more better about yourself if you own some land. It may make you not be intimidated at all by the fact that she has two master's degrees. What do you care? You own property. You make your money. You've been on a on a course of property and flipping properties and and getting in spaces and getting them fixed up and selling that and getting 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 20, 30 grand and turning it into the next one. You've been doing that for 10 years. You'll be at a whole nother place. And so I think being aware of the programs for first-time homebuyers, not buying a house that's your dream house at first, that's dumb buying a house that you can that 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 needs some work not being lazy not being overly picky um, one of the dumbest things you can ever do is to buy the house that's the most expensive house in the neighborhood that's just dumb I try to tell people this all the time they don't listen to me but to buy something that needs some work I would definitely rather Buy a house that's 3,000 square feet that needs work, then a house that's 22,000 square feet that's perfect. Well, I don't want to do all that work, right? You want to be broke. You don't want to be wealthy. You don't want to have real money. You're lazy. I don't want to have to step over while they're doing they there, fixing up and, uh, and there's sawdust and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're basically saying is you want to be broke. You want to be a consumer. You wanna be a mark, you wanna be a slave. Now, you know, even if you rich, even if you're an NBA player, do you know how many NBA players are broke right now? Because they all they do is eat their seed. But if you have the ability to sow your seed, meaning that you're looking for a deal, you can be tough. Oh, well, well my girl doesn't wanna do that when you got the wrong girl. When she met you, you should have been about real estate. When she met you, you should have been about buying houses and flipping houses. And if she didn't want to do that, then she didn't get to be with you. What is the point of being with a woman who's not about what your purpose is? Well, I don't want to hear that. that, that. Well, you got 99 problems. And that chick is one because You got a woman above your property and your purpose, bruh. You have to realize your purpose and your property has to be higher than pleasure. Has to be higher than a woman. Praise God for women. Praise God for that physical relationship. But we have been so pushed to chase pleasure that it costs us a hefty price. And in the days of porn, we all are interested in so much pleasure that we don't realize that there's a serious factor that goes along with, with property. Okay, we have a caller. Somebody's finally called in. I think he said his name was Michael Jackson. Maybe we lost him. Maybe that was something I did or maybe it was something you did. Maybe it was a mistake. Are you calling the person back now? Is that what you're doing? You should make them call back. Maybe this was a, maybe it was a wrong number. Maybe they didn't mean to call. I heard it was Chin Lee hello hey I can hear you just fine yep this is this is Andy Thompson you're you're on here with me on beyond the pulpit is that did you mean to call this number great okay great I'd love to hear your question what is it Yes. Yes. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> well, we had our first.
0: On, man. We had our
1: we had our first call, and right off the bat, we had the we had the N word. I I can only hope that maybe that guy was. We don't know what he looked like, you know, but just know that if you're going to call and ask a question, it'd be great if you actually wanted to say something good. You know, I can only suppose that, you know, let me answer the question, though, because it's not a bad question. Let me answer a question and just say that we have to realize that Christianity has been used to reinforce very racist perspectives. Okay, and and there's a whole lot of interpretation of the Bible that has been used to reinforce ideals that are not godly and certainly believing that a a race of people is inherently cursed as a result of something that's interpreted in Scripture. Even that word That N-word is not in the Bible. That is a word that is a a more recent word, um, a pejorative that's been used for African Americans. Um, And so just understand that the Bible is bigger than color and bigger than culture. Um, And so, but it has been used to reinforce racist notions um and so thanks for your call but no not don't thanks for your call um so getting back to what i was saying before i was so rudely interrupted by you know somebody saying the n-word this is i said i wanted a call-in show this is what i got (laughs) isn't this isn't this wonderful (laughs) my lord my god um what was I talking about before I was so rudely interrupted by the uh, dude with the N word? <laughs> by the racist guy. Uh, by the racist guy. You were talking
0: about uh, the question was uh, real estate.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Wealth. Get property. Go get some property. Be serious about it. Um, be determined, uh, gentlemen especially. Be determined to get some property. Be serious about it. And um, and and you know I mean I I think you could you know you, if am I sounding as if I'm just talking to men. I you know, I I do have a I do talk to men quite a bit. This you know, uh and I know there are a great deal of men that do follow me in in its conversation that we're having. I think as a woman, you you know, certainly you can own property. I think you have to be careful. Um, especially if you're um determined and planning. Um on a family. But uh, but, I, but I think as well, it's unfortunate as a man to be intimidated by a woman that owns some land and owns some property. If you guys can really come together and believe and share all things in common, that can be a great thing. Um, so find programs where you can buy property with little to no money down. There are definitely programs out there. Um, and be serious about it. Right now, you should be saving up your money. They're saying that there's going to be a crash that's going to come. Interest rates are going up. Prices inevitably are going to have to go down. There's been a serious rush on real estate right now. There are people that definitely overpaid. Um, They're saying that there's going to be a moment in the future in which people are going to find themselves upside down. And it's going to be possible for you to, if you're prepared, uh, to get a hold of property. Um, and if it's something that's important to you and something that's valuable to you and you prioritize it and chase it, um, you'll be able to do it. My grandfather and my father taught me about real estate, but there's so much that you can learn by reading and, um, and property and land is the one thing they're not making more of. And so you definitely want to get some property and all of your getting, get yourself some property. Yeah, sure. Let's keep going. I mean, you know, you still have more. You got more questions for me. I'm not tired yet.
0: So, one of the questions was, uh, Pastor Andy, will you have a singles ministry uh, for single people without children who are not college age? I am 43 and I am still waiting and looking.
1: And I get, I get this question about singles ministry a lot, and I think you know the singles ministry definitely ends up being single women's ministry um there's definitely young adults ministry at World Overcomers we used to it used to be really strong covid has had a significant impact on every church and every in gathering ministry of what everybody's doing so much stuff is through is is through the online presence so much stuff is through media now um So there was definitely a time when, yeah, young adults ministry was something that was significantly happening. Um, And so now post COVID, you know, as we are growing and moving forward and, um, yeah, there's things that are definitely coming back. Um, But I think that if you are trying to be involved in singles ministry because you're still waiting, you're 42, you don't have any children, um, if you're waiting for singles ministry for an opportunity for you to meet someone, might I suggest that a better way for you to meet someone is to be intentional about meeting someone. And you want to be intentional about meeting someone? Then the way to be intentional about meeting someone is and we got this question from earlier, social media, the computer, there's all kinds of, of, of apps and things that you can use, christianmingle.com and 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 uh, farmersonly.com. I talk about them quite a bit, even though and there is a website called farmersonly.com. Um, there are a lot of people that meet through uh, dating sites. Uh, I think I read an, a statistic that said one-fourth Of all couples that are getting married these days have met through some kind of a dating site. I know for women it can be difficult. It's almost like you're looking for a whole banana in its skin in the trash. (laughs) Uh, But I think if you're consistent and persistent and determined to go out on dates and not give up and not get tired, you can meet someone. And if you're just looking to meet someone, if you're asking me, Am, am I doing singles ministry because you think it's going to be your opportunity to meet a man? Um, I think right now, as uh, there's better ways for you to meet a man than to meet him at a singles ministry event at a church. Um, so. Uh, we got social
0: media question. Okay. balance preaching the
1: truth that might offend people I mean I think that it's a very different day it's a different time it's a different age you know and back in the day you know a, a, a preacher might be communicating to the 200 people in the room with him 150 people in the room with him that's who heard the sermon then they started to record the sermons and so then the tapes And they had a tape table and what you communicated started to be shared with other people. And then radio and then television and then broadcast. And now the day of being online in which every word you say uh, can be questioned. Um, And you can face the potential of being canceled. Um, I haven't really heard of a preacher being canceled. I think that people pretty much have an expectation that if they're listening to a dude who's conservative and there's, there's plenty of conservative thought, especially in America, not just in America, in the world. And I think right now there's still enough conservative thought to not necessarily be canceled as a result of conservative thought. Um, so I don't know if, I, if I'm afraid of being canceled uh, as a result of pul- pulpit communication. I think I'm more careful about public communication because I think the ultimate job is not necessarily to judge the world, but to be the light. And I think a part of the mistake that the church has made is that we just got gangster with the light and we decided to put our principles over people and to not see the truth of the word of God and the kingdom principles as something that has been given for someone to have life and more abundantly versus just being limited to a set of rules and and spending pulpit time ranting and raving about who's wrong. I don't know if that's really the point. Matter of fact, I don't believe it's the point. I don't think Jesus came for us to have church and that more abundantly. I think he came for us to have abundant life. And I think finding the path to life is important. I think the true, the true aim of anyone that's a modern communicator is ultimately to share relevant truth and not just truth couched within a generational cultural expression of that truth, but to communicate eternal life-giving truth. That's hard to do. And I think that the gospel has been limited as a result of its very narrow application in one particular cultural and generational way. I think what's bigger is to expand the application of the gospel outside of Western cultural norms. Um, And for that to happen, we have to be open. But it's absolutely possible that the gospel can be veiled to those who are perishing. It's absolutely possible that the God of this world is in the minds of men. They cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel. Um, And I think that Anyone that's going to share God's perspective has to be prepared for the fact that it may not be popular. I don't know if I worry about that as much. Uh, For me, it's probably even more being afraid of being lumped in with people whose real heart is not to communicate truth, but to use the gospel to separate people from rights and access To use the Bible or the gospel, you know, just like this call that we got a couple of seconds ago to be able to label somebody with a name or a title. It's just a very American thing to do, to use a, a term, a pejorative term to dehumanize someone so that it makes it easier to oppress those people. And then to go into the Bible, it's just very racist, nationalist to go into the Bible and to try to find scriptures that now are going to make this person or this group less than human or separated from rights based on some interpretation of scripture. It's just an extremely American thing to do. It's what America in a sense was almost founded upon the rights of a particular group over a group that doesn't look like that. And I think that right now I am times find myself sensitive about over communicating conservative views because I don't necessarily want to be lumped in with a group who's using conservatism as a way to deny people of something that could be fair to them. It's not because I'm afraid of being canceled and it's not because I'm afraid to not be popular, but it's because I'm afraid of being identified with a racist agenda that I don't think is Christian. Um and so I think I think it takes courage.
0: Plus, my husband has been growing tired of me and asked for divorce. I don't want a divorce, but I can't seem to get through to him. Long story short, how do I get a man to seek help if he don't want it?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> it sounds to me like in the question you're saying that you have anxiety, right? That's, is that, isn't that what it yes. said? She's saying she has anxiety. She's battling with severe anxiety. Um, And so I think if you're battling with severe anxiety, I don't know if you're battling with severe anxiety because he's trying to leave, because he's not trying to be with you, or if you battle with severe anxiety anyway, and as a result of that, it's a cause for him to be desiring to go in a different direction than being with you. Let me just say, if you're battling with severe anxiety, you need to get help. Um, You need to get counsel. You need to get therapy so that you can be the most complete person that you can be. You may find that in getting help for yourself, you may strengthen yourself internally. And that internal strength may make you more attractive and make it easier for your husband to stay in a relationship with you. I don't like to make people stay together. Um, It's not something that I do. Even as a marriage counselor from a pastoral perspective, I've written books on relationships, and I've said to people that I'm trying to save marriage, not necessarily your marriage. I'd almost be willing to sacrifice yours for the sake of marriage as a whole. Um, but I I think that marriage is being redefined, but I'm saying all that to say, I don't like to make people stay with each other. I don't think women should stay with men that they can't stand. I don't think women should stay with, with women they can't stand. And I, I think it's a bad picture. Um, and so I think that if your husband wants to leave you You need to know why Um, and to really hear him out as to what are his issues with you. And if if those reasons have to do with your anxiety, your depression, your mental issues, then the way to get him to stay may be to to guarantee him that you are seeking help and that you do begin to seek help and he may begin to see improvement you may separate for a time as you chase help and chase support and chase what you need to be a better you anyway then at the end of it even if your marriage doesn't work you still will be stronger and you will be healthier and you will be a better you so if the if him asking for a divorce pushes you to strive to be a healthier you and a better you, then even if your marriage doesn't work, you still win in the end. Who's to say that in your determination to be a better you, you may gain the actual changes that may encourage him to want to be with you. There's got to be some reason why he married you in the first place. Um, and you may f- rediscover that person and he may fall in love with you again, or, or decide that actually he does want to stay with you because you're giving him a glimpse of that woman that you originally were. If you lost that person. But I think counseling is important. And I think that couples should try some counseling before they ever separate. Um, because divorce can be a tough thing, it can be a devastating thing. Um, but relationships are interesting today. Um, and so my 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 advice to you would be get some counsel. See a therapist. So what do you think? Good show? Good day? Eight thirty, this has been Beyond the Pulpit. I hope I helped you. I'm gonna be here on Monday nights. Starting at 7 p.m. And uh, this was our first one. I thought it was good, good talk, good questions. And uh, and we're gonna keep doing it and, uh, and it'll be good. So thanks for being with us tonight on uh, Beyond the Pulpit, Andy Thompson. See you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond the Pulpit with Andy Thompson. If you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to follow Andy Thompson on all social media platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, head over to www.pastorandy.com slash podcast for more information on how to donate and stay connected with Andy Thompson.